This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Paul Sokolis with special guest, Summit Racing's David Fuller and Justin Weideman. Here we go. Hey, welcome back to another installment of the On All Cylinders Podcast. Paul here with Dave and Justin, three Summit Racing employees and three of us just getting back from the 2023 SEMA show. In fact, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't even unpacked yet. My suitcase is still on the bedroom floor. But, uh, you know, we want to strike while that proverbial iron's hot and give you our, our first impressions and, and quick feedback and maybe even break out the crystal ball and see what's coming up next, potentially, for the automotive aftermarket. But before we dive into that, uh, Dave, clarify for me. Summit Racing has gone to SEMA for a very long time, but we as a company did not go during the pandemic years. Is that correct? Uh, we did not. We we skipped out on 20 and 21 due to the pandemic and kind of got back into the show in 2022. So this was our second year back. Good. I, I just wanted to establish some context because we'll make some observations based on our experience pre and, and post pandemic. And, and we'll get to all that in a sec. But for folks who don't really know what the SEMA show is, Either of you guys want to explain why SEMA may differ a little bit from your traditional, ordinary, run-of-the-mill industry trade show? SEMA is the creme de la creme of kind of trade shows. You know, it's in the beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, lots of stuff going on there. But Las Vegas has a massive conference center. I don't know how many millions of square feet it is, but it's all of them. And it's cool how they separate it in different buildings. You have all the way to South Hall, which is your tools, wheels, and tires. Central Hall, which is hot rod stuff. And then the West Hall, which has all your kind of off-roading stuff. So there's different sects, but it brings the whole automotive market together at one place at one time. And, you know, you see all sorts of crazy people there, wild builds, and, you know, all the manufacturers that are in the SEMA network. Yeah, I think it has overtaken CES, if I'm not mistaken, as the largest trade show that Las Vegas has now. Um, It's just grown and grown and grown, expanded, new halls have been built, and it goes into those, and then it expels outside. There's more stuff outside than there ever has been before. A lot of activities. Most every aftermarket manufacturer, not all, but most all, I think, attend that show. And then, uh, as Justin mentioned, car builders, uh, concept cars, lots of influencers go out there. Uh, you know, so and it's a great meeting of the minds. You know, there, there's uh, classes for people to take to learn different aspects of the aftermarket business. So it's just it is it's the biggest show of the industry. Yeah, from my perspective, it really is more like a festival atmosphere. You almost forget you're at a trade show. Um, There's celebrities walking the halls. There's cars doing burnouts in the burnout pits. There's music spilling out of lowriders everywhere. It's an experience. That's probably the best way to put it. But I want to circle back to a point we made up front. Um, Summit Racing took a bit of a hiatus during the pandemic and then returned last year for the 2022 SEMA show. Now with 2023 in our rearview mirror, Let's talk about uh, some differences between that past year's show and this year's show. Did you guys notice the difference? There was more people than ever, in my opinion, compared to even last year or years prior. And as the week got on, it got busier and busier. And, you know, even on Friday, which they do something really cool, they do kind of like a fan experience to where if you're not in the industry, you have the opportunity to get in the show. 
it was hard to navigate a little bit. You know, it was people everywhere, but it just shows you how many people want to come and check this out because it is really fun to show off the aftermarket side of the automotive industry like Summit Racing participates in. Yeah, I've been I've been going to the show since the late 90s and I, I've seen it, the attendance grow and grow and grow. It got to a certain point and then COVID, uh, you know, those years, they didn't do it in 2020. 2021, they came back and then 2022 was our first year back and attendance wasn't quite back to normal last year, but I would definitely say in 23 this year, it was back to where it was pre-COVID. So that was great to see. So we'll get to some specifics on what we saw and what we enjoyed during the show. But before we do that, let's discuss what we didn't see. Um, Were there any manufacturers, vendors that uh, did not attend the SEMA show this year? You know, one of the things that's changed a little bit, especially in in the last few years, is just the presence of the automotive manufacturers. I think Ford, Chevy, Stellantis, uh, they used to take up large spaces in the uh, convention center and their press conferences were a key piece of this, attracted a lot of people, launched a lot of uh, new products, news, had a lot of concept vehicles. And those, those manufacturers, by and large, pulled out of the event, but not all of them. Uh, where Ford used to be, of course, they had a very prominent space in the Central Hall. Toyota has moved into that, and uh, they did a nice job this year. They had a lot of uh, Land Cruiser and Tacoma concepts there, and you know that was kind of big news. And it seemed like they were attracting a lot of folks. I think Lexus was up there with them. The big threes, by and large, have pulled away from SEMA uh, to launch some of their news. Some of them kind of went to CES, the advent of electric vehicles, and I think some of them have pulled away from that as well uh, due to various circumstances. But um, that, that's the biggest thing, I think, that is, has changed and, and was missing uh, even going back to last year. Certainly wild to see Stellantis was the last to pull out of the big three. It was wild to see kind of their booth space filled up. They put in kind of a car gallery where you were expecting to see the Mopar booth. And like you, you kind of touched on, Dave, I think Toyota hit it out of the park with their display and booth this year. You know, the Toyota, the FJ Bruiser is, I believe, what they call their concept vehicle for this year. Every time I walked by there, the thing was just crowded with people. And the thing, the build was so well done. It was um, hard not to walk by and appreciate it. And just to put this out there, I think the Stellantis decision not to attend the show was kind of a game time decision as a result of the UAW strike, right? That's kind of what I was touching on. You know, I think there's some various reasons for each of them, uh, but I know that did play a factor in it. But nevertheless, it was definitely uh, unique to have the show without them being a key part of it. It's still a great show. Yeah, and it wasn't just Toyota. Some other OEs made the scene, too. I know Nissan was uh, there with uh, some slick Frontier concepts and uh, even a little Nismo-tuned Sentra. So um, my fingers are crossed that that's going to spark a little sport compact revival because uh, I honestly think that the market needs that. So we've talked about what wasn't there. Let's talk about what was there. And we'll start off with an easy one. What manufacturers, what vendors had the best SEMA booth and the coolest, neatest stuff in it? Can you pick just one? I think Holly did a great job of showing off their wild product offering and what they had, you know, day one new product of the year. So that was cool with their LIDAR. I think that, yeah, best engineered new product. Yeah. That was a good one. So yeah, they did that. They did that LIDAR fuel tank center and it was really cool to see that and just kind of how technology translates into car swaps and stuff like that. I really enjoyed Blueprint Engines booth this year. They had an all new booth. It's always cool to see the fun stuff they're coming out with. 
I don't know I saw tons of neat concept cars this year. Even like in the ATEC booth, they had the Shelby Daytona and Peter Brock was there. Race car royalty. And it's just kind of cool to see guys like that in the industry. I would echo what you said about Holly. They did a nice job. Of course, they have a large family of brands, uh, but that fuel level sender was great. They also, I thought, did a nice job. So, you know, one of the bigger pieces of news in the aftermarket to come out uh, late this year was the Sniper 2 EFI. They had a really cool interactive setup there. And then they had bought uh, Chad Reynolds in uh, from Bankshift and really all over the place. He's he's definitely a face of the industry. But they had him come in, uh, I think, a couple times a day. And he kind of gave seminars on the kit, uh, how to set it up some of the other components you need with it. So I think they did a good job of eliminating some of the questions. So getting out in front of that. I thought Willwood, um, our friends at Willwood, I believe that was a larger than normal display they had. And that, that was really cool. Some of the displays, they have the color wheels and the calipers. And they, you know, I think they expanded a lot. And then QA1 comes to mind as well as a company that always has something new to show. Those hop out of me. And then over in the West Hall, there's a lot of overlanding. That's always going to catch your eye, I think. So that was big. A lot of different manufacturers took advantage of the overlanding setups with tents and uh, some of the gear that goes along with that. That category is hotter than ever right now. You know, the kind of the overlanding, off-road lifestyle. There was lots of cool stuff over there. You know, there's something there for everybody. You know, you walk in the door and the first thing you see is a P1 McLaren and then next to it's a truck with a tent on the top. I believe that Willwood booth actually was all brand new. Every time I was by their booth, it was super packed. There was a ton of people. They were showing off all sorts of new product. It's nice to see when people refresh themselves like that. They're giving you a fresh look at their product offering. You bring up um, overlanding and and trucks and off-road. So let's speak in more broad terms about uh, some emerging trends or even better, some trends that are having kind of a renaissance. And to me, I spotted an awful lot of Ford Mavericks around the show. Couple that with like a next generation taco and a next generation frontier. And I'm hoping we see a rebirth of the sport truck. And if not, maybe a rebirth of the sport compact scene. But yeah, give me a lowered sport truck with some custom paints and a nice set of wheels. That would make teenage Paul very happy. Me and you kind of talked about this when we were actually at the show. I wholeheartedly agree that sport truck is back and it is hot. The new trucks are, I am obsessed with them. You know, you throw that like, traditional like a Baja themed paint job on one on a four wheel drive one, or you slam it, put it on some billet aluminum wheels or Dayton's and then you're it's on like Donkey Kong. Stop it now. I'm going to have to go up to my attic and dig out my Alpine head unit and sub box. Um, So David, instead of talking about uh, the cars, uh, what trends did you see on the engines? Um, What's the big popular engine today? You know, looking on the engine side of things, I don't think it's, it's it's certainly not new, but the LS is still thriving. I, I see a lot of ECUs and products made to make swaps a lot easier. Uh, I think people are still addressing pain points for some of those things. EFI conversions still out there. Last year, it was like this too, but more Godzilla parts, I think, in development. Um, a lot of people are looking to start swapping those out. And, you know, I saw, I mean, I'm just talking strictly on parts here, but I saw a lot of suspension uh, components for Fox body, right? So people looking to put four, six and five liter and swap them into different vehicles, you know, swap you know, the new five liter into the, the Fox body. So stuff like that, there are a couple of different manufacturers really jumped out at me for those. Um, and then, uh, you know, 
I'll take the bullet for this one and we can talk about it more, but you know, there's still a lot of talk about electric vehicles and, uh, and a Tremec had some, some cool stuff for those. There is an electric Jaguar in their booth. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. That, uh, electric E type Jag. And what's really neat. Didn't that have a manual transmission with it? Yep. Yeah. So Tremec had come up with that, that cool, uh, I mean, Justin, you, you, I know you were enamored you can explain a little bit more, but again, electric is still the talk, at least a part of SEMA. Electric gets looked at as if they're trying to replace, you know, the internal combustion engine. And it's just another category to add to motorsports. There's room for us all. And I think that's what makes it fun. And with their booth, they had that a transaxle replacement set up in their booth. But then they also had, I can't remember the exact name of the, it basically looked like a transmission with a black box hanging off the front of it. And they had a Mustang that had one swapped in it. And then the E-Type Jaguar as well. And, you know, where your engine would conventionally sit was batteries. And, you know, they had some batteries in the back of the car, but it makes an ungodly amount of horsepower for an electric motor I can hold in my hands. You know, the people that are in that market and, you know, making their stake in kind of automotive history by being on the forefront of that are really coming out with some spectacular stuff. Yeah, that entire section, subsection of the hall dedicated to EV propulsion, uh, they had some incredible stuff. Uh, EV swapped, uh, there was a 68 Camaro with an electric motor. There's also an air-cooled Porsche 911, or formerly air-cooled Porsche 911 with an electric drivetrain. And all sorts of other stuff, ranging from small Volkswagens to, to classic Detroit muscle. It's really, really a fascinating subset of the automotive enthusiast world. There was a point where people were saying they were going to keep riding horses and not buying cars. And look where we are now. But let's not overlook uh, the evolution of the internal combustion engine either, right? Um, I remember a time in our not-so-distant past where you'd walk through a car show or an event like SEMA and, and see a modern LS and a vintage Camaro or, or Chevelle and say, ooh, ooh, that's a neat swap. And now perhaps I think the Gen 5 LT series might be uh, poised to usurp the LS's position as the go-to swap motor. And I know the Gen 3, Gen 4, Gen 5 LSLT motors are still kind of in that same general branch of the uh, GM pushrod V8 family tree. But did you guys see the same thing? Is the LT series motor the uh, the new go-to swap engine? Yeah, I, I kind of heard that talking uh, with folks from Holly about starting to develop more stuff for LT. So, I mean, they've, they've definitely got the LS market covered. They had a lot of Gen 3 Hemi stuff that they're developing. And then it was mentioned about the LT as well. So, uh, you know, a counterpoint to the electric stuff, still lots of options for internal combustion folks to move their hobby forward and, and do new things, try new things. And, uh, you know, that's certainly not going anywhere either. It, it's just great to see the variety out there. I believe 2014 is the first year for LT. And uh, I know it's 15 for trucks. You know, that stuff is becoming, it's hitting co-parts and wrecking yards and all this stuff and being more accessible to us, just like the LS was in the early 2000s. You know, it comes into GM pickup trucks. They made a whole snot load of them. Those are becoming more and more viable. Holly does a great, they have a whole Terminator X standalone for those now that support that whole transmission series that come behind those two. And like David said, same with Eagle Hemis, those 09 and newer Hemis. You can find one in a wrecking yard and it's swapped the world. You get to kind of put whatever you want together nowadays because of how available parts are. You know, we've we've certainly talked about the LSLT. We've talked about uh, the Gen 3 Hemis. We've talked about uh, the Godzilla, the new Ford Godzilla pushrod V8. We haven't mentioned Coyotes yet. And if the 2023 SEMA show is any indication, uh, that platform is continuing to increase in popularity, particularly for engine swaps. 
as the aftermarket kind of supports being able to make swaps a little easier, like uh, our friends over at Silver Sport, you're over in their booth for a little bit checking stuff out. And they have a whole kind of transmission do-it-yourself kit. You pick your bell housing. You pick what trans you want. They match what clutch you need, what hydraulics. And you're off to the races with a five-speed swap or five-speed or six-speed. That group there has something for anything you're trying to build. So um, up until now, we've been talking about engines and specific parts and components. Let's rack the focus out and, and talk about vehicles. Because in years past, you know, a recent vehicle release kind of steals the show. Um, the Ford Bronco was a perfect example. The, the Jeep Gladiator, the C8 mid-engine Corvette. When those vehicles were released, they were kind of all over the place. Did you guys see at the show this year a specific vehicle gobbling up all the spotlights? You kind of touched on it. You know, Ford Mavericks were hot. Um, Anderson Components had that carbon C8, which I thought was absolutely elegant and beautiful and cool. I know walking around, I saw a lot of more on the classic side of hot rods this year than I have in a couple of years past. Lots of Mopar stuff, though. Ring Brothers had an amazing charger in their booth. Our friends over in Aturo Tires had a what looked like a 70 charger, but it was on a new chassis. Lots of import. JDM was hot. Uh, it was cool to see some Fast and the Furious clone cars this year. You know, Paul, now that it kind of we talk about that, I saw a whole mess of GTRs and R32s and R34s. Yeah, I completely forgot. Um, I saw quite a bit of the new, uh, and forgive me if I'm mistaken, are they calling it the 400Z or are they just calling it the Z? Um, but ever the, the new Fair Lady, the new Z car from Nissan, I saw a lot of those around. We'll just say new Z cars. There was one, I was uh, kind of walking around and saw a yellow one and I just, I had to stop and take myself because it takes you back to that, those 70 Z cars that we all fell in love with. You know, they're gorgeous. They got really hot during the LS swap craze. You see a ton of LS-powered Z cars. But that new car is the perfect. It's kind of like what the big three did when they brought back the new Camaro, the new Must, New Edge Mustang, all that, kind of those homage throwbacks. They share the very similar body lines to their cars of yesteryear. I think they knocked the thing out of the park. Oh, I was going to say, I think the answer is to the hot car of the show is two words family truckster yeah there was not two one, of them two family trucksters from the vacation movie national lampoons vacation trademark thought that was funny because you mentioned you know some of these mclarens and stuff and then there's these cool family truckster clones but going back to what you said about the hot vehicles i, I think you guys touched on a lot of them but i think also it kind of goes back to ford and chevy and stellantis not really having as much of a presence in years past you know they would bring so many different concepts to their own booths and you see them throughout the show they really didn't have that this year uh so you know i think it was a little bit more diluted in the types of cars that were out there but you guys hit on with some of the jdm you know tacomas uh, i did see quite a few broncos those are the ones that sort of stand out in my mind from this year now, to be fair, we got to point this out. The, yes, there were indeed two um, National Lampoon's Wagon Queen family trucksters, <laughs> but uh, there is a distinction because the first one I saw was as it would have appeared uh, brand new off the uh, Lou Glutz showroom floor, as they say. And the second one we saw was kind of the way it was at the end of the movie with uh, the blacked out wheels, you know, the stolen hubcaps and even an Edna on the roof. So there is a distinction we should make there. Yeah, and one was Duramax powered, which I just thought was neater than snot. No, I did not know that. The the one with the black wheels? Yeah, no, it was diesel powered, which I just thought was cool. Let's talk about the car display that was out at the Hoonigan pit yeah. and all that. And dude, you want to talk about a circle of just beautiful automobiles. 
Yeah, you know, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because uh, front and center at the Hoonigan display was the Hoonicorn Mustang driven by Ken Block. And, and Ken Block himself was the SEMA keynote speaker of 2022 last year. And nobody could have envisioned losing him just a few short months later. So there were plenty of touching tributes to Ken Block, the man and, and the driver all throughout SEMA and specifically at the Hoonigan booth. They put on a great show over there, too, in their barnyard. And like Justin said, just a pretty amazing uh, you know, lineup of vehicles that they had over there. So it was a great display. Yeah, I was impressed to see they had the uh, Subaru GL family huckster station wagon was there. Um, they even had an all-carbon fiber body Dodge Charger. The year escapes me, maybe a 68, 69. Yeah, there was just, there was something that itched every scratch in that booth. Like I said, it was cool to see that uh, Travis Pastrana's what was that? car. What was that, Justin? <laughs> it itched every scratch that you had. <laughs> and even on the electric side, they had a new Alpha Wolf EV. You know, I'm a sucker for a regular cab short box truck, regardless of its powertrain. But man, that thing was giving me serious Marty McFly vibes. Uh, dude, the body lines on that thing and how smooth and how great it is. Um, I really appreciated that thing. It, like, uh, I would have would have loved to see inside of it. Maybe next year we see a couple of them at the show. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's just a good looking clean truck. But let's rack the focus out a little bit. You know, we've been talking about specific vehicles and specific engines and parts and components. But in a general sense, what era, what time period do you think was best represented? And I ask this because I personally saw a lot of stuff from the 90s. You know, Justin alluded to the JDM stuff, but uh, I also saw an Acura Integra Type R, F-Body, Camaro Firebirds. That Fox body was all over the place. What time period do you guys think was uh, the best represented at this year's show? (laughs) I think you stole my thunder on that one, Paul, just because you said it. Then we we talked about some of the suspension componentry for Fox bodies and and 90s era Mustangs, SN95s. Plus, just what you said, I mean, there's there's a large representation. The sport truck sort of trend was definitely there. I guess it makes sense because I think we talked about this a little bit last year, and I think my answer was 80s because there's a lot of G-bodies and there was donk-style suspensions and parts that were kind of a big hit at the show. So I guess they've graduated to the next decade. But yeah, I'm right, with, I'm right there with you. I, I think if one decade stood out, Aside from all the, the early hot rods, it, they tend to be at the show all the time. I would say 90s as well. I'm going to row the boat here with you guys and um, say that the 90s was the, so well. And even like kind of I would say the 90s into the early, you know, maybe next year will be full out into the 2000s, 2010s. Lots of JD, uh, like kind of that whole JDM sport compact revolution was uh, huge at the show. It's kind of just like how the Volkswagen craze went when Volkswagen bugs got expensive because everybody that drove them in college were at a point in their life to where you get a, you know, a car to restore and do that. As many people are building Mustangs and Camaros and Firebirds, I think Sport Compact is on that era right now. You better stop because I'm going to have to bust out my 48 CD disc wallet. Yes, yes. Uh, Bumping some gangster rap. Like, I'm all about it. I was going to say, one of the things I also appreciated, the Donk Master himself had a couple of his cars at the show this year. I know Donk racing is not the most popular thing with a lot of people, but I think it is the coolest thing in the world. And seeing those cars in person just put a big old rowdy smile on my face. Now, outside of the vehicle and the engine and the era, the time period, what styling trends did you guys notice while you walked the, the show this year? And the reason I bring that up is because I'm seeing an evolution of the pro touring look. Like the pro touring look came out of nowhere 
where someone took a show car and said, you know what, I want to be able to drive this thing and, and drive it hard. So that's where you started seeing the big brakes, the spoilers, the carbon fiber accents. And now I think the pendulum is swinging back where you're taking a car that would have been a pro touring build and giving it more of a show level refinement. Like a dash of chrome has returned or a part that would have been exposed carbon fiber is now painted and finished. It's just a fascinating way that the, the trends ebb and flow in this hobby. What do you guys think? I think you hit the nail right on the head. You know, the Ring Brothers car, that charger they had is a perfect example. Carbon inlaid grill. You know, they used different door skins and moved the vents. It was called the Tusk. It was really cool. It's got a bunch of high-performance parts incorporated into the build, but it's just done at a whole different elegant level. Same deal with over in the Vibrant booth. There was this Firebird that basically was sitting on top of an IndyCar chassis. Like the motor, the back of the heads were like where your where the dash would be, like at your knee. And it just the thing was just I mean, it was a full out race car that a father and son built. And it's just like, dude had so much big rowdy arrow on it. Like I loved it so much. Daily race cars is we kind of always joke around about something that I can go make licks at the track, you know, go running around a road course, but I can still daily the hot rod. I think that that's hot as ever. Yeah, we saw the limited prep tires that came out from Mickey Thompson uh, for those types of things where you want to go for a, a test and tune track night or something like that. Or, you know, just weekend racer type guys that can throw these tires on their on their vehicle. So that was big. I think the next big trend is probably going to be hydrogen powered monster trucks. Okay, yes. so there was only one of those, but it was pretty darn cool. What a piece of engineering marvel that Mike Copeland showed up to the show with there in the red line booth. He is Mr. Hydrogen, as I like to call him. The dude is just doing all sorts of rowdy stuff with alternative fuel, hydrogen in particular. And it's cool to see. Like, you look at it and you're like, oh, wow, you put a lot of thought into this and this is very, very well executed. And I can't wait to see the thing run. Like, it makes 1,100 horsepower on water, essentially. I mean, I know it's a little more complicated than that, but it still sounds yeah. cool when you simple it up. You know, when you make it sound that simple, it's kind of neat. Yeah, but, well, he took that a principle from his pickup truck that he did, and now he put it in his monster truck. And you kind of got to wonder, you know, where where does the hydrogen power thing fall on the the array of power options in the future? Everybody's talking about electric versus internal combustion, uh, gasoline powered, I should say. And now you've got hydrogen power and you, know, you just got to wonder you know, once the limitations are addressed, where does this, where does this live? And it should be interesting, but yeah, he's, he's a genius with that stuff, man. He's, he's fun to talk to. And now's probably a really good time to mention that if you want to see any of these builds, if you want to see what we're talking about, uh, you can visit the summit racing YouTube channel, YouTube search for summit racing, and uh, you'll see plenty of videos there specifically of that hydrogen powered monster truck. Or we also have photo galleries and feature articles on a lot of these vehicles, too, at our blog, onallcylinders.com. So, yeah, if you want a visual component to all this jazz we're talking about, uh, that's where you'll find it. But now, Dave, you were kind of leading me to my next question, and it's a good one. Talking about the viabilities of alternative fuels and ultimately the future of, of this industry. So let's bust out our crystal balls. Um, where do you see the future of this industry heading? What new product or, or innovation is on the horizon, you think? My kind of me rubbing my crystal ball and predicting, I think, um, kind of electric alley. You know, we have hot rod alley. We might as well, see, you know, gallery of Electra. I think that's going to be bigger than ever as kind of the year and more technology develops because, you know, that market's always innovating. 
So I think we're going to see more e-swaps than ever. But then again, you know, with these Z cars becoming more available, with the Hemi cars becoming not available, you know, this is the last year of manufacturing for um, some of the Chargers and Challengers and stuff like that. I think that stuff's going to become, you're going to see more of those at the show just because it's kind of a flex. We've seen decade jumps the last two years. We'll see the 2000, uh, the early 2000s. Lots of 90s pickup trucks. You know, speaking of 90s pickup trucks, outside by the Summit trailer, there was a whole row of OBS. So old body style, that 88 to 96 Ford F-250s and 350s in kind of that big jacked up giant suspension components, all that. But outside, but dude, I love that. And I want to see more of that next year. I like seeing those brand new jacked up trucks, but I want to see stuff that we saw in the early 2000s. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, except for I don't like weeding through all the, the jacked up giant trucks that are they're outside just to get to the just to get to the hall. I mean, they're cool. I like them, but there's a lot of those. I, I do. I did really like seeing the sport truck look, the lower trucks, and I hope to see more of those next year. Um, yeah, I think new Mustang, you'll see some things for that. And uh, I think there's a new Ram on the horizon. So that could be a darling of the show, potentially, depending on timing. I, I don't know. I think that's for 25, but, you know, 24, there could be some stuff out there. And then, you know, we'll see what people do with the new uh, Tacomas and, and things like that. They'll have a year to sort of put their spin on that as well. So, you know, it's interesting now that you mention it, we've gone this whole interview and haven't brought up the fact that the, the new 2024 Mustang was on the scene as well including uh, in one booth, I can't remember whose booth it was, uh, was a Mustang Dark Horse. Editorial bias aside, it, it's a good-looking car. So if that's the vehicle that's going to carry the uh, late-model muscle performance mantle uh, for the next decade, then I think we're in good hands. And it's important, too, to note that, you know, while Ford wasn't there, Ford Performance Parts was, and they introduced a new performance package for the Mustang. I'm going to get this wrong. I guess FR800 is the name of it. You know, I'll have to double-check my work on that. That's my brain still fried from SEMA, but yeah. So, you know, I think you could see an evolution of having more of those uh, vehicles out there with concepts and things like that. So that remains to be seen, but yeah, that was certainly a, a cool looking uh, vehicle and a cool performance package that they, they put out there. It, you know, I'm glad you brought up that new Ram that's on the horizon because I am counting down the seconds because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm counting down the seconds to when I see someone swap that brand new hurricane turbocharged inline six under the hood of like an OG Plymouth Belvedere or a first gen charger. I mean, it's 500 horsepower, I think. So it's going to happen and it's going to be delightful. The new era leaning tower of power, but it's straight up and down. (laughs) The not so slant six, right? Well, and that's the thing is with Ford, like you have the barometers that aren't available here in the United States, but they were huge in Australia. I can't remember the, I think that that's the 5600 series that comes in like um, trailblazers and stuff like that, that straight six that GM did. Now you're going to have, you know, Mopar bringing one to the party. One thing that I totally, that we did not mention though, is that mini Winnebago that was in the mother's booth. I believe it was a mini Bago arrow, which it was on a golf cart frame. Dude, it was all aluminum. Uh, It was amazing. I want a full-size Winnebago that's polished to tell my mini Winnebago that's polished. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, I I did not see that. And it just drives home the point of how large the show is. I mean, there's admittedly corners of this show that I, I just, I didn't see. I missed. 
So, I mean, again, that drives home the point. But I'll turn this around on our host here, Paul. It was, I think this was your first time out there at the show. What stood out to you? Uh, you know, that's a good question, and I, I feel bad giving you a cop-out answer, but it's the honest answer, um, and that is simply the the immenseness, if that's a word, um, how big it is. And, and I've been to PRI, I've been to plenty of top-tier car shows and whatnot, but I get off the plane, get to my hotel, go up to my room, and I'm on the top floor of the Renaissance, open the curtain, and there it just stood before me, the entire event grounds. So you've got multiple burnout pits, like multiple uh, areas where these cars are just ripping around, tire smoke and tire noise. You've got acres of, of show cars, top tier show cars, tents, music, throngs of people just walking all around. Then you have to take a step back and realize what you're witnessing is only like a sliver of the actual show because the actual show is going on inside, inside the convention center. So again, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but it's the right one. Every single facet of the automotive aftermarket is covered here, from overlanding to racing, from donks to European exotics. It's all there. And honestly, looking at my watch, uh, that's probably a good spot for us to start to wrap up on. So I'll spin the microphones around to you two gentlemen. What wisdom do you want to leave folks with as we wrap up our discussion on the 2023 SEMA show? You know, I think we hit the highlights of the show. You know, we saw so much cool stuff. We get 360 days um, to see what people can come up with. You know, I bet there's already people planning their SEMA builds that have already started working on them. But just in a said it's an amazing gathering of cars, and it just showed you how wild and innovative this industry truly is. And um, I can't wait to see what it looks like for 24. Lots of fun manufacturers, uh, you know. that You know, Paul, the one thing we didn't talk about what was in our booth? Oh my, yeah. Um, so at the Summit Racing booth was a car that pretty much needs no introduction, but the Project X 1957 Chevy 210 Coupe, fresh off its electric drivetrain conversion, now sporting a 632 cubic inch uh, Chevy big block. Yeah, it, it drew a, it drew a crowd. That was something that struck that 12 year old me. Just was absolutely. Would have been like, I can't believe you're standing next to this. Um, I don't know how Hot Rod Mag- how long Hot Rod Magazine has owned Project X, but it's certainly longer than my lifetime. And like, so I can remember being a little kid and flipping through old Hot Rod Magazines that my grandfather had and just being like, I have, you know, I have a weird obsession with uh, Tri-Fives and that one is it. And even to see like what Tony Angelo put the thing through when he was beating the snot out of it. And now it's beautiful again. It's, it's cool. I don't know. I, I just, I forgot to touch on that. And I'm just getting excited talking about it. <laughs> yeah. When, when we had a chance to be involved with that, to, to bring it back from electric uh, to the 632, uh, we, we jumped on that. And uh, the fact that we were able to, to display it at SEMA, at the SEMA show, along with the big red Camaro. So we had a couple of really iconic cars in our display this year course we had a, an autograph session with uh, ryan martin and jeff lutz and then we had some other celebrities that stopped by and uh, always have a good display of summit brand product we had some more turbo stuff a lot of our ls stuff it did a nice job over there it was uh it was well done justin who was your favorite celebrity that you saw out there for me that's a hard uh you know i ran into all sorts of fun people you know, Mr. Rotary Rob Dom was really cool to run into. Um, we were actually standing in the booth and doing our wrap up. And um, Avery from the History Channel show, you know, wearing his, you know, big rubber boots and all, stopped over and started talking to us. 
but all sorts of fun people. Um, you know, I even ran into our friend Clay Milligan. You never know who you're going to run into. You know, I ran into Clay Milligan. I ran into the Donk Master. Um, but you know, but Riley from Riley's Rebuilds. You know, I met her over at the Edelbrock booth and did a little interview with her. What shows you where this industry is going and kind of rising stars? And she actually got a Jesse Combs Award, which was really really cool. That's the fun part about walking around SEMA is you never know who you're going to run into. And, you know, me being the wild auto enthusiast that I am is I fangirl a little hard every time. Well, on that note, gents, um, we will wrap things up. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, thanks for sharing your insight. Yeah. Mark your calendars. SEMA 2024 coming up. Yeah. No, um, it's been a pleasure, guys. You know, uh, it's always fun talking about SEMA. We uh, all have kind of different automotive tastes. So there's a widespread uh, appreciation amongst us all and yeah this has been a lot of fun i agree thanks for having us on to talk about uh the show it's uh something unique about each and every show like i said going back to as long as i've been going to this uh you know there's there's different theme different trends different people uh you know so it gets you excited for the the year to come and uh you know it's fun to look back on it so yeah great great uh, great being on yep. thanks Paul. see you guys later This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.